Your efforts are a reflection of who you are, and you are beautiful, and own it. I think that's one of the best gifts that we as a company can give people is hopefully they can see that there is beauty in their own efforts. And my example is what we do. Inform, inspire, and evolve. Welcome to Creating Community for Good, a podcast dedicated to philanthropy, the love of humankind. Join host Lindsay Simons in a friendly conversation about contributing to good as we bring together community, positivity, and energy to the business of generosity. Welcome your host, Lindsay Simons. Hi, all. This is Lindsay Simons, your host of the Creating Community for Good podcast. My guest today is a fascinating man. I think you'll enjoy this conversation a little bit outside of the box, but really going into the heart of what makes me so curious about the human experience is the why and the how and the spirit behind everything. Brad Black is the guest. He is the co-founder of EO Products, maker of EO and everyone for everybody. Brad has been a passionate champion of sustainable, responsible, and ethical business and manufacturing practices, helping to establish many of the standards that are now commonplace in the industry. Back in 1995, Brad's wife at the time, Susan Griffin Black, came back from a business trip in London with an idea to create a pure essential oil company. Together, they began blending pure essential oils for friends and family in their garage in San Francisco. Rapidly developing a cult following, Bloomingdale's reached out and asked Susan and Brad to create an aromatherapy blend for their holiday gift guide. More on this in the podcast called How I Built This by Guy Raz. I listened to it before our interview and was totally in awe. I highly recommend it if you're curious more to hear about how Brad and Susan created this successful and awe-inspiring company. Brad's passion for environmentally responsible and sustainable manufacturing practices has positioned EO products as an industry leader in sustainable business practices, including championing the company's status as a zero-waste certified organic B Corp. From start to finish, Brad ensures integrity and accountability in every step of the company's supply chain. This approach to business exemplifies the spirit of philanthropy, the love of humankind. Now, fundraising professionals and nonprofit leaders may say that I'm taking liberties in my definition of philanthropy. By way of this podcast conversation, I want to demonstrate how we can shift our thinking about philanthropy from the dueling pianos of the for-profit and nonprofit and move into the harmony of purpose-driven work. Brad argues that we are misguided to glorify business people who give massive donations to nonprofits without investigating, first, where did their wealth come from? If there are very few who are becoming very rich while keeping others poor and destroying our earth, and then they give it to charity, is that really the love of humanity? Take a listen and let me know what you think. Personally, I find this to be a highly controversial topic. In fact, I was on the Responsive Fundraising podcast hosted by Jason Lewis recently debating this topic itself. I digress. While what I just shared was a major takeaway from my conversation with Brad, the beat of our dialogue was really about being a conscientious and mindful human in and out of the workplace, in and out of the home, and as a part of the community. I admire how he starts his day, how he sees women in the workplace, how he shares his thoughts freely and listens carefully. Listen in to hear his perspective with the intention to inform, inspire, and evolve. Here we go. What's the first thing you do when you get out of bed? Like, what's your ritual? You know, I've got three things that I do before I'm really awake. So I don't sleepwalk, but I kind of sleepwalk. And it sort of connects me to, you know, it's like how I've decided to wake up. So one of the first things that I do is I have one of those singing bowls and I clang it and I just try to just listen to it and be present with the sound. That's first thing. The second thing that I do is I light sage. And then that's more the scent thing. And I just really kind of smell it to be just present. And, and then the third thing is I say a little prayer. And I really pay attention to feeling the words as I feel the sound, as I feel the smell. So when I say the universe or 
shining her countenance upon me, I actually feel the intention of the words in the body as opposed to just saying a word and getting through the prayer. And that's how, mm-hmm. that's how it's a slow wake up. However, it's how I meet the day. That's beautiful and more than I had anticipated. When we talked last, you said that you've been on a spiritual path for about 10 years. Yeah. So this must be part of your spiritual ritual and staying on your course. What else do you do during the day? Is there, are there other steps that are ritualized that are spiritual or is it sort of like an ebb and flow or what's the, what's the journey look like for you? You know, I think a practice of mine is, is how can I just engage during the day or in life as Brad, as Brad would, mm-hmm. and less dictated by all the demands on how they want Brad to behave. Uh-huh, yeah. So the rituals are part of it. And then I have these other things called like reminders. Okay. Reminders that when I see it, like my amber bracelet here, it reminds me of the intention. Again, it moves it from an intellectual place and it forces me to feel the intention of it. And I've got these things scattered all over my house. Mm-hmm. I've got crystals and, you know, at work. I really try to I engage with people at work and I always aspire to be kind and be nice and and it's a struggle because mm-hmm. I'm a motherfucker. No, not really. However, you know, we all struggle with things. Yeah. And I I just try to constantly move back towards a nice, a humble business owner or yeah. you know, a father or a, or just a fellow human. Yeah. I mean at the end of the day, right? I mean, it's just trying to figure out like, what are my goals and intentions in any conversation? And where then I do this, I do this check because I was on a call earlier today where I was a little bit irritated and I'm like, okay, hello, that's my irritation. Is that actually like, should I share that irritation? Is that going to advance our connection and our conversation? And it's, not always that I can do this, but I did have a mindful moment where I thought, oh no, that's actually just for me. And now let's get back to the facts or how do I want to relate with this person and how can I diffuse the irritation? And that's that human trigger, right? That I think mindfulness practice is all about how do we manage reactivity and instead be mindful about the words out of our mouth. Yeah, it's a great example. And it's moving from a reaction, like you said, to a place to respond. Right, to respond. Yeah. And like the days just, you know, they go back and forth. <laughs> yeah. Okay, a moment too. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, the different environments that we're in dictate. It's really, you know, if you go into a bank, there's a certain kind of dynamic that you kind of feel when you go into the bank. It's like serious yeah. and, you know, or with your, if you're with a police officer, you know, it's like, okay, I'll joke aside, but really, I'll joke inside. And they yeah. sort of set the space and, and it moves you, me, us away from how we want to be. So in a way that energy controls your space and my space. And so then how can we find a mindful way to respond and engage that's meaningful to us, that's authentic to us while respecting, say, the bank, yet not really giving ourselves up? to mm-hmm. the bank or the cop or your mother. Yeah. But, you know, to be kind and honoring mm-hmm. and respectful and not causing undue harm, especially with the cop. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> especially. Now you are the co-founder, business owner, and now chairman of the board of EO and everyone. And I want to hear more about that. But in that context, you said, you're a worker and you go in and you work with the team and you've got a factory there in San Rafael and in California. And what does it look like when you walk into the factory, knowing that the hat you play is the one of the highest authority, if you, if you will. And how does that play into the dynamics that you're going to be entering into when ev- with everybody that you meet that works for you? Yeah. It's a complicated dynamic. Because, you know, we founded the company, Susan and I founded the company 25 plus years ago, 
And I've played all parts, including mm-hmm. sitting down on the production line for years, filling bottles with everyone else, because that's what just had to be done. And, you know, right. one day leads to the next day. And all of a sudden it's 25 plus years and we've got, you know, 180 employees and a wonderful infrastructure. And the dynamic does change from what I imagine. And, you know, you kind of have to be, or I try to be aware and I look at people to see how they respond. Mm. And then I try to engage that way. But I am respectful of them given the structure and the, and the dynamic. And now with social distancing and we have to wear a mask anyway in manufacturing and goggles and like hairnets. And it's sort of like, you know, you're all covered up anyway, but you can still feel the dynamic that it is between them. But I really love the community at EO and it's important for me to connect with really with, with everyone and out on the manufacturing floor. I mean, we ask a lot of them, you know, half Mm -hmm. of our crew of the 180 people, approximately 80 now work from home and, you know, we're connected via the computer screen, but at work, you know, we've got people still fully engaged making our products. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty interesting. How do you find, like, is there a question that you use as an icebreaker or warm up with your employees? Is there a pattern as to how you create a sense of ease and communion? What I try to do is I actually try to look at them in the eye and make sure that they know that I see them. Like it's an Mm -hmm. intentional look. I'm trying to establish a connection Mm -hmm. and it's a slower pace. And then with the managers, I'll do the same. An ongoing question that I have for them is, what are you struggling with today? Or tell me Mm -hmm. about your problem. It's a little bit of an icebreaker. It's uncomfortable for them because now here I am like the big boss in their eyes. And I guess I am. And they don't want to show a weakness. And right. and I think culturally in a business dynamic and also like from a male space and women embrace it as well. Obviously, they're like male attributes is you don't want to show a weakness. However, right. the day is it's like, OK, you know, it's how we work through problems. And really what I try to do is I'm, I'm like, hey, man, let's team up together to solve whatever the hurdle is that you're. And so I've been doing this for years. And that's, I wouldn't say it's an icebreaker. It's sort of the continuance of a dialogue. Okay. I like that. Yeah. 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 So I listened to the really fun interview with Guy Raz of how I built this and NPR. I loved it. Hearing you and Susan talk about the many, many years that you Really, you built the company from scratch and you were wearing every single hat you, you, two of you did. And you struggled for years to bring in the revenue to make the company flourish. And now that's, uh, that's a day of the past. I know that you have found quite a bit of success. The company is humming and I don't know what it looks like on the inside or behind the scenes, but optically from the outside, it looks like it's thriving. I'm curious to understand how that comes into the way you see yourself in the world. Because for some, they have an over, well, what looks like an overnight success. Some find tremendous financial growth very quickly. And others, it's a whole journey. And one thing you said in the interview was, I'm going to paraphrase and I may not have it quite right, but you said something along the lines of, we had no choice but to be successful. Because you had this destiny that you saw as inevitable. But tell me more about like, what does that mean to have no choice but to be successful? If I paraphrase correctly, you can adjust that. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you're out jogging and you're struggling to go up that last hill or a hill, you kind of got to like downshift and just work your way through it. And it's like life. And, you know, you got your marriage or you got the kids or you got bad cash flow for 18 years. And you just, we just sort of downshifted and worked our way through it. And we just never really, I mean, you consider, you consider everything. However, it was never really an option for us to go out of business because our family depended on it. You know, we did it, we we had to do it for the, the food and it was never this, oh, you know, we're building a brand and, can you imagine a day without like cash flow problems? I mean, that never really entered 
the issue. It was you go into work and and we just struggle through it. And we actually praise in the in the fun and the joys of it all. It's just, you know, it's all a package deal. And, you know, we always had each other. You know, we've had a wonderful team in the mm-hmm. past and in the present to work with. And so it's, yeah, it's been hard and it's been joyful. And I think that's kind of life. Yeah, I think so. That's interesting. Do you feel like, was there a time where you're like, okay, we've, we've hit it. Now we're, we're making it. We're in the up and up and we've officially achieved success. Check mark. Has that time ever happened? Well, you know, success is an interesting word and we've always been successful because I think the heart is how we really define success versus a traditional money part of it. And we've kind of defined our space and it's been successful all along with a lot of hurdles and, Mm -hmm. you know, no regret and a lot of heartaches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and now you know. I think it, uh, with a little bit of wisdom under the belt, it's I try to engage on a regular basis in a way that doesn't have a lot of residual effect that keeps me up at night, and that even includes bad cash flow. So one way yeah. that you can engage with you know not enough money is can you have a conversation, a meaningful conversation with the bank, mm-hmm. with you know your bottle supplier. And we had have had many. And it's mm-hmm. like, hey, we've been in a relationship for five years. And we thank you for giving us, I don't know, net 90 days. Because yeah. we've had multiple conversations before. We're not going to be able to pay you until net 120 days. And most of the time, we were able to work through it by having a human relationship and a respectful relationship in the dialogue. But it also kind of comes back, you know, it's like that golden rule of treat others how you want to be treated. But that also is like treat yourself how you want to be treated. And Mm -hmm. there's humility. And, you know, what you mentioned before about God, where did that like idea and that thought come into this conversation that you had before? And, you know, you kind of forgave yourself at that moment. And then you can kind of move on versus tripping up on it. Yeah, totally. I mean, I find what you're saying very compelling. It's it's really the path of mindfulness. It's really like, how can I take care of myself, be easy on myself in order to be easy on others, but also just treating everybody like, you know, your neighbor. And the podcast is dedicated to creating community for good, but it came from my journey of working with nonprofits as a consultant to have better relationships with donors and to run major Catholic campaigns. And what I found is core to my work that's really at the heart of everything I do and everything else is the vehicle. But what the end game is, is how do you create more high value conversations or high value relationships? And I see that the parallels are not just in fundraising, but also in business and in management. And as you're saying, any negotiation, as you're talking to that police officer, how do you think, okay, what's appropriate here? And maybe joking is not. But the bank, then, you know, here I am a human, I'm trying to do my best, and you've given us this, but can we do this? And I think what I'm wanting to highlight is that you don't know until you ask, and there's always a conversation to be had, even within structures and systems, if you can approach it with dignity and humanity. I find, you know, there's a lot of wiggle room, more so than most people see that there is in systems. Do you ever think about that, too? Yeah, I mean, it's how do you define good? If you talk to a chicken and you talk to a wolf, they probably wouldn't be in community in local food sources. (laughs) Yeah. There's just no way. Could a chicken and a wolf be aligned in like, darn, local industry contributing to acid rain? I mean, you know, that would probably resonate with a chicken and a wolf. Yet how we define good and then how we choose to engage in that, that's a struggle constantly in business because business has really been defined and is maintained in more of a male space. Mm. It's like, don't fuck with me. It's survival of the fittest. It's like, if you don't like it, whatever. And it's like the deadlines at five o'clock, be there or get out. Female attribute is like, 
come on in, sit down, let's have some tea. And, you know, if you can't finish it at five, you know, get it in at nine o'clock. And, you know, I really understand why, you know, you're having some hardships at home and all that sort of stuff. So I think in the evolutionary space in business, and we're moving there very reluctantly from giving up where we've been in the past, probably for the last, at least for the last hundred years since industrialization, but even before that. And, you know, it's why we need women in leadership, but really what we need are female attributes in business. Mm -hmm. It's more than just women who sign off to engage with male attributes in business, because you can get a Mm -hmm. lot of like sharp people. We need more compassion. We need more dialogue. And it's been such an amazing experience to be divorced with Susan and then choose to stay engaged as partners in the business and as parents. And there was no, there was no leaving. So we had to find a compromise. We had to, and it's been such a wonderful learning experience to see how she engages in things, but also for her with me. And I think that's from an aspirational business space is where we're all moving to is, can you really what is the higher good? And the higher good in business is not how it's been defined and how it's been. It's clearly not working. And a business space isn't going to work with all female attributes because then it would be like everyone's carrying. We need a balance of the two. And from a male attribute side is like to be male, you're not giving that up, a male attribute side. Because when you're fighting a, a, a saber-toothed tiger, that's what's in the DNA. Failure from being a badass with a spear is death. And we're not fighting that, yet we still carry it with us. Back at the tribe, at the community, the women were managing all of that stuff, family and just a variety, and they were clearly different functions. But there was more of a balance then where there isn't now because business and governments and really culture has been redefined by this new, new over the last, whatever, couple thousand years <laughs> dynamic. You're talking about a archetypal male and female. So the archetypes of personality traits. Nowadays, we're seeing that messaging is to integrate attributes within one human. And a lot of spiritual gurus will talk about the divine feminine masculine within one person and the balance. And there's so many communications that could be had around dynamics of genders and roles and expressions of those. And of course, you've got the dialogue that says we're all equal and the same. And you have others that say, no, we're all, we should be all equitable, but we're not equal. We're not the same and everything in between. What do you think is like from your perspective of your own deeper listening and experience, what would make that shift so that business could be for a higher good? It, does it mean bringing in more women in leadership or does it mean educating men to have more of that, the female archetypal qualities that you're talking about? Yeah, both. I mean, it's just going to take time. We're, mm-hmm. we're on the path and there's a lot of discord that's going on today in the scheme of things. Let's just say from our species, Homo sapiens, yeah. 300,000 years. In the scheme of things, we'll get on this thing relatively quickly. But for mm-hmm. us living this, it might take a few generations. So we are moving in that direction. And yes, we do have to, we have to change culture and religion. And even the dynamic I have with my, with my mom or I did with my dad, it's just a different generation. They're exposed mm-hmm. differently. And with, in the conversation I have with my kids is it's just like, I don't even know some of the questions to ask. And so I think that's just going to take time, but I do feel that we're moving in that direction and what we need to find is grace, is poise, is humility, in turbulence, and it's going to be. So it sounds like those are things that resonate with you on a daily basis. Would you say there's one question that keeps you up at night? Do you have any one particular challenge you wrestle with as a human being, as a boss, as a male? Yeah, you know, I I think that if I do one thing in my life well, 
And mm-hmm. when I look at you, I'm like, okay, if there's one thing that Lindsay can do, one thing, that is to be Lindsay. That yeah. is to be Brad. So yeah. what my struggle is, is how can I move away from like, again, that thought that came into your mind in the conversation you had earlier today, how can you move away from how society or these different entities want us to behave in a different way? You know, media, look at religion and just how demanding it is on people to behave the way Mm -hmm. they say you should behave. Mm -hmm. And and Mm -hmm. much about religion is fabulous. And so what I try to do is I just try to weed out okay, I was a little distracted here. Okay, I could have been a little nicer here or, you know, and then let some of that go to aspire to do just a little bit better. Because the, one of the wonderful things about it, at EO is that we're not really that different. Yet a 2% change over 25 years all of a sudden becomes noticeable. You know, organic is a thing and it wasn't a thing, yeah. but, you know, we've stayed to it. And now it's like a pretty big industry. or Essential oils are... Totally known. Every not everybody. Many people know about essential oils now. They did not when you started the brand. Right. Right. It's incredible how society shifts and how information trickles in and it can move the needle. Yeah. Okay. So I'm starting to think about like your articulation of you know the sphere and being a badass and and me talking about having to and wanting to not express my frustration. So where do you think, is there a space for anger, frustration, resentment, all of those negative, you know, quote unquote, negative feelings or reactions in your opinion? Well, you know, perfection's 80%, 75%. It is. Without the 25% of the problems, who would get up off the couch and stop eating <laughs> chocolates and bonbons? Yeah. I was thinking about just having a croissant and not exercising anymore and blaming on COVID. Problems are opportunities. That's a shift that we really have to embrace. And as hard as problems can be, I like problems because it's an opportunity. And in this understanding that perfection is 75%, I actually have permission to fail I mean, whatever the number is, 25% of the yeah. time, one out of four decisions, it's okay to be wrong. And then how I try to engage in it is in a humble way, or this uh-huh. is how we collaborate. And this is about transparency. And you know, this is why it's really important to have the male attributes and the female attributes, because the strengths of both really provide us the best path to find this. You mm-hmm. need to be humble. And then sometimes you got to be strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, super interesting. So what would you say is the path going forward? Like, how do you think about community? And how do you think about how you create community and how you are the best version of yourself in the space that is in common with others? I try to do the best for me. And my spiritual practice keeps me in balance as best as possible. I can draw pretty hard boundaries. Like one of the things I've said is, you know, I love community living so long as I'm the boss. Um, because what I've found is that there does need to be a respectful dialogue because, you know, I've been in arguments with people, not arguments, but in discussions with people who have no business experience. It's just not a one-on-one dialogue yet to be able to meet them and have strong enough self-confidence in myself to have the dialogue with the other person and and to engage in a way that brings out their strengths, allows me to have my strengths, and then you can kind of meet up. But Mm -hmm. I have to have poise for myself. And then I also have to have an awareness of where they're at and how how we can become more than just one plus one. And then to walk through life, I do some really amazing travel and go to the far corners of the earth. And I do that because I want to be uncomfortable and I want to meet people in a way that, you know, they don't even speak the language. We can't communicate, yet we do. Huh. And it's a, it's a wonderful practice to be able to sit down at a table with someone who just speaks Arabic in the Atlas Mountains and have a coffee with them. 
So how do you do that? It's through gestures and eye contact and yeah. going back to, we, well, we talked a little bit about like the old system of bartering and trade and how that was business. That's how business was formed. And now it's such a different machine, but I guess it's what you're talking about is going back to that is going back to meeting people using totally human to human interaction as opposed to mutually agreed upon rules or languages. Yeah. You know, the definition of business has been hijacked really, mm. and we need to take it back. What do you mean by that? Business is defined and the business space gives people permission to engage in a way that it was not ever intended. And it's not for personal greed and power and money. It's to serve. It's to be in service. It's about barter. It's because, hey, you know, I love your apple pie and I got extra eggs. You want to trade? There is a respectful dynamic and it's been hijacked and it's not about returning money to stockholders as defined by Wall Street and mm-hmm. the 1%. Mm-hmm. It's really, a, it's, a, it's for the service for the community mm-hmm. at large. Yeah, I like that perspective. And I certainly agree with that. And that's part of why I love being in the business of philanthropy, because I've found that there are some who have been privileged and some who have a far higher bank total net asset worth than others, right? And then they say, okay, well, how can I rebalance the scales? How can I contribute? Like a Warren Buffett, he talks a lot about why is it that my secretary has a higher tax bracket than I do? And how can we actually change the way those of us who come into wealth, whether it's through lineage or through the lottery, how are we sharing that greater wealth with others? while not necessarily sacrificing our own well-being, our own family's trajectory. I respectfully struggle with philanthropy. Okay, tell me. Good, let's talk about that. Because you can rape and you can pillage, you can pollute the world, and then you can donate $150 to your local Little League and your community says, wow, Brad's a pretty cool dude. (laughs) Yeah, whitewashing. However, can you engage in how you make money in a respectful way? And now the axis of evil is marketing and PR. And so I can make soap that's non-organic, that's in virgin plastic bottles, that uses synthetic fragrances and dyes, that's shipped around the world, and I can charge $8.99 or $12.99, and I can say power to whatever, the dolphins. (laughs) But how we try to practice is... We're like using recycled content to make our bottles 100% in EO and removing more in that way. We only use essential oils. We're a certified organic manufacturing facility manufacturing in one of the most expensive places in the world. So the secret is, is can you make your gobs and gobs of money and do it ethically? Can you do it in a way that's for the common good? Right. And the common good is not defined the current way of with dominated by male attributes is can you really do it in a way that's that's balanced and that's the struggle and that's why i have such an issue with these people with gobs and gobs of money it's like do you really have to charge it that much for software i understand it takes a lot of money however if you start accumulating a billion dollars does that mean that it might be overcharged a little bit i mean yeah. we charge 4.99 for a bottle of soap and we sell it in Walmart. And it's made with 100% recycled plastic in the bottle with essential uh-huh. oils, pure essential oils, in a manufacturing facility that's zero waste. Can you do that, Procter & Gamble? Can you do that, Warren Buffett? I like that. I love that because you're integrating, well, philanthropy is, the word is the love of humankind. So you're actually executing the love of humankind along the way, all along with every step of your business which I do believe is philanthropic. It's like you have to practice love and kindness when you raise your kids on a daily basis. You can't just like punt them every time they don't clean up their room or they drop milk on the floor. And then when they graduate from college, think that they're going to love you. It's the same way. Like, here's a great example. How do you go about hiring your babysitter? There's a very technical aspect to that. Okay, you got to drive. There's a certain age. You know, there's got to be like, yeah, all right, you're my neighbor's kid or whatever that is. And then there's like that check-in. Yeah. You like look at the kid and you're like, okay, motherfucker, do I trust you 
to take care of my kid. And that's how you should engage in business. There's a depth, but there's a different level of permission that we have in business and in government and in culture and in media. It's like across the board to just engage in a different way. And it's just a slight shift. And I think I've learned much of this by having to have to work with a woman Mm. who I wanted to, who I divorced. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Who is still your partner. Yeah. In business. Yeah. And your co-parent. And we're all, and you know, culturally we're moving in that direction. You, uh-huh. we, we, you can see it. I mean, the unrest is a reflection of a, of a resistance to the change, but we're changing. When we get caught in some of the details, it's hard to appreciate it. You know, the earth has earthquakes. You know, there's, there's this change and that's what's, that's what's happening, but we're changing and we will get there. Yet yeah. We're always going to be in a place of unrest because that's yeah. just the dynamic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were talking the other day about the media and Celia Tejada introduced us and we were talking about how she doesn't watch a lot of news and she sort of decided this is not healthy for my psyche. I am going to, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to vote and I know who I'm going to vote for and I don't really need any more like news reporters talking about every word and decision that's shared on a daily basis. And you were saying that you are at peace with the unrest in a way, although not to say that you condone the violence or the harm, but that you're at peace with the unrest because it means change and it means progress. And it's the way we've always been as humans. And have I captured the essence of your perspective or how do you handle the daily you know, infiltration of chaos that we're all getting you know, marketed down our throats about like, I mean, I'm getting pop-ups on my phone. I have to disable notifications from the news. Like, I don't want to hear every single step that somebody takes. It's too much. Yeah, I might not be 100% at peace. However, I accept it. It's like... Okay, that's a good adjustment. It's like your kids. I mean, everything should be... Shoot back to your kids from mm-hmm. a per- per- perspective. You know, it's like you love them. You, you, you don't want them to leave. And it's like roots and wings. They leave. I mean, how dare they? Yet you want them to leave. Yeah. And there's such pain and there's such struggle. And I can get yeah. with it, you know. And, you know, I got countless nights of, you know, struggling going to sleep because of the doggone kids. Yet you want them to move away. You want them to have their own life. And the same is with, you know, in the political sphere today, there's such black and white. And I think that really where we got to live is in the gray. Yeah. There's a compromise. What, what the beauty of the United States of America is that we are united. Yeah. And that's just where we're not now. It doesn't have to be the discord all the time. What we strive for is to unite, is to compromise. Mm-hmm. And it's just not in the cards today, nor has it really been, you know, for the last hundred years plus. Mm-hmm. So we're migrating that way. But, you know, are we ever not going to have earthquakes on the earth? Probably not. Until yeah. it's like the light goes out. Yeah. <laughs> Scary. I don't want to think about earthquakes right now. We've got fires. We've got politics. We've got social. We've got COVID. But you're right. That's the reality is like you can't control what is. You know, you have to figure out how are you going to be in what is. Yeah. Like take a deep breath. <sighs> so, you know what? I want to come back to the conversation on philanthropy because that's my industry. So, are there any organizations that you do support in any way, nonprofit organizations? At work, we have been dedicated to organizations in transition. Life's been tough. There are organizations to help people get back on their feet again. And we believe that a warm shower and a beautiful smelling soap goes a long way towards reinstilling dignity. Uh-huh. And so we, we support them with product, we support them with money, and that's where, where my heart and my soul is. There are certainly some environmental things. However, what I prefer to say about EO is, is that we're really a nonprofit for profit. Like we, we, we haven't been innovative in our space without sacrificing the gobs and gobs of money 
that we've hoarded, but we haven't, so that, that then we are a zero waste manufacturing facility in really? Southern Marin. I mean, it's the yeah. most ridiculous thing. Yet yeah. we are. So we constantly invest in our own actions because I think that's ultimately what we bring to the table, not only as a yeah. business, but in life. It's like, how have you shown how you live, but how you've lived your life? And that's where right. my little grumpiness comes on philanthropy is, is that it's more about intention versus just throwing money. And I think that we can see a lot of examples where that just doesn't work. And if you just say hi to someone, I see you, I recognize you, I respect you, you know, the dignity. I mean, as I say this, you can just feel it in your heart. And that just goes a long way. Yeah, so true. This is just, it's a fun conversation. I'm so glad that you took this meeting with me, Brad. And I want to put a little message to the listener because this is the 25th week that I've been doing podcasting. So I'm still very new. And recently I started shifting and talking to individuals like yourself who are more innovators, business leaders, creators. And it's not to take away from the strategy of fundraising that is another line of my podcast. But I think that there's so much value and really connecting the dots of the whole ecosystem of who people are in society that we're working with. So for nonprofits who are in the fundraising space, they need to know that there are leaders like you in the for-profit business space who are doing good along the way that may be, you know, that, that you're going to need to talk to in different ways, right? It, that's the whole point. It's like, let's shine light on what motivates people and how do people interact in the world and how do people see community and how do they see impact and what does impact even mean? What does good mean? I have a hard time with my own podcast title. I don't like the concept of good and bad, but I went with it because creating community was apparently too vague. So I said, okay, creating community for good. But it's almost like an asterisk to say, I almost don't even believe when in like, what does good mean? As you said, you know, it can be so, it's so variable depending on your perspective. So that's just a, a sort of a rant, but it's also to say that, that the dots do tie together. And I serendipitously had an interview with Troy Alexander, who is the owner of the new business called Troy Skincare for Men. And when I was talking to you, Brad, it was, I talked to you immediately after I interviewed Troy, which was after I interviewed Delia Shahada. So anybody who's actually listening to all the podcasts will see the sequence and that there's so much connectivity between people who are truly trying to do good in the world through their individual actions and through their business, but it starts with the ritual of how they greet themselves in the morning or at night. And whether it's the product of Troy Skincare or EO or everyone, or it's the art that Delia does, or it's, you know, the various interviews that I've had, we all have different ways of being. So I, I wanted to just say that caveat to the listeners because it, I want to show my way of thinking and that I, I see that there's a real connection to humanity in, in various ways. And you have to go through the path that, that you walk, you know, walk through the door that opens is what my mom always tells me. I talked with another friend who works for Salesforce and she is working as a sales representative and she's been telling me about the values driven, driven marketing. So if you were to look at a company and you want to partner with them, corporate or business to business, look at the value that the business holds. With that, I want to ask you, Brad, now that was a long tangent, but that's just part of Lindsay being Lindsay. I want to ask you, will you pitch us EO? Like what is, for those who don't know what EO is. If you want to actually touch and feel intention, try one of our products. If you want to feel how we think, how we make decisions, try one of our products. We're not a soap company as much as we are dedicated to making decisions, making soap. And that's what I would love for the listeners to just be conscious of is that you can actually engage with how we make decisions because mm -hmm. the proof is in, in, in the product. And that's what my demand is to rich people and also to the people that go to work is that your efforts are a reflection of who you are and you are beautiful and own it. I think that's one of the best gifts that we as a company can give people 
is hopefully they can see that there is beauty in their own efforts. And my example is what we do. You are a beautiful model. I think that is exactly right. I love what you just said so much. That is so perfect. That's so beautiful. And that's just the message I want people to hear. You know, life is good. It's really, mm-hmm. it's really great. And I'm so thankful for, for everything and even, even the struggles. And we can do good. And, you know, there's permission to really fuck up royally because you got to learn from it. And I forgive you. I'm spending time with my mom and her partner right now. And we were listening. We were having dinner and heard the music that was playing was from the 80s. And we were talking about how that was the best time for music. And um, if anybody disagrees with me, tell me why. But we think that that was the best time for all genres of music. And one of the reasons why was because we felt that there was a levity and carefreeness, exploratory exploration of sounds, of lyrics, of beats of messages. And I think that that's true. So I want to ask you, Brad, like, how can we come back to a place of, I think there's a lot of strife right now. There's angst and there's a lot of positioning. Everybody is so careful about what words they're saying and how they're acting. And and some people are not, but we're, there's like this scrutiny. How can we bring more joyfulness and levity and see that life is good and you're good and you're beautiful and, you know, find some ease in the space of being a human today. I'll make a hard argument for the seventies, you know, earlier today, I was oh, listening really? to like mm. Led Zeppelin and Bob Seger and, you know, Annie Lennox and the pretenders and the cure. Uh-huh. I mean, there's some eighties in there as well. You know, I think it just starts with us and it helps me in my daily practice, how I start every day. If I can connect with myself in a meaningful way, if I can feel what I'm thinking, if I can feel the smell, feel the sound, feel the words. It just helps me to start. And then I can touch base during the day to the feeling of how that conversation went or how those actions went. That's my practice is I try to engage on a regular basis, multiple times per minute around how I feel about something. And then that's, that's my checkpoint. Multiple times per minute, you check in with how you feel? Yeah. Wow. That's mindfulness. Well, it's in, it's about intention, and the purpose behind it is I want to sleep well at night, and I don't mm-hmm. want to have just a cacophony of fuck-ups about things that I say, and I'm, you know, I'm a little bit of a brash guy, and I can be a little affrontive to people, especially in the workspace. And what I say about that is, is that I'm that way to myself and I am trying to break up the monotony of things and people don't necessarily hear it. Yeah. But again, I want to be able to sleep well at night and I'm not a jerk just for being a jerk. I'm (laughs) provoking for the sake of change. I like my dad has always said, um, because you know, when Everybody's born with hardware. We're like a computer. We've got hardware. And you could do software upgrades, but you still got the same hardware. <laughs> and, and I think it's like, yeah, yeah, like, who are you? And then how are you trying to upgrade yourself or be the best version of yourself? But still, you're, you're still you. And every one of us is born uniquely with a unique set of problems and skills and superpowers. Hardware and software. <laughs> so, Brad, let me ask you, how do you feel in this moment about this conversation? Question mark. Lindsay, thank you so much for, for reaching out. And I'm just thankful to have a dialogue with you, with the listeners. And we are community. We are both in the service. We're all in the service for the good. And I just appreciate the venue to talk and hopefully to be heard and then to maybe have a dialogue about it, because I think that's really what we strive for is, is the dialogue. And thank you for supporting that here. Yeah, well, I, I'm so happy to have you on here, Brad, and you bring such great perspective and insights. And yeah, I really share and I'm inspired. I share some of your thoughts and I'm inspired to think further about what you've shared as well. In this dialogue, is there anything that I didn't ask you that I should have asked you? No, I'm just reiterating what, what's come up multiple times is that just everyone just give yourself space 
to just be imperfect. It's not a problem. I mean, it is, but it's not really a problem. It's an opportunity and how we can meet the problem and how we make that problem acceptable is working through it to strive so that we don't consider that a problem down the road. That's really cool. I like that. If there was, this is my last question for you. If there was one idea or person, brand, nonprofit, anything that you want to shine light on, this is your moment to direct the audience to hear whatever you want to share, whatever you want to shine light on. You know, I just love, we can change the world by taking care of your neighbor. Love it. All right. So that's the idea you're going to shine light on. So change the world, everybody, by taking care of yourself and your neighbor. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. This is it. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Brad. This is a lot of fun. I really enjoyed this. You have a lot of insights to share, a lot of wisdom. Really appreciate you taking this time. You're very, very welcome. And look forward to the next conversation. Sounds good. I do too. Thank you and be well. And I look forward to being in touch. I can't wait to share this with the world, but I'd love to get to know you better too. Thanks, Lindsay. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Okay. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Creating Community for Good podcast. If you like what you heard, let me know. Send me a message on LinkedIn or write a review on Apple Podcasts. If you haven't done so yet, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. If you're curious about a topic or you'd like to be a guest, let's connect. Go to www.creatingcommunityforgood.com. In there, you will see all of the podcast episodes with beautifully written show notes and hyperlinks to everything that we've discussed. Thank you and shine on. With this latest valuable episode, we'd love to thank you for joining us on the Creating Community for Good podcast. If you found today's show valuable, simply visit our website, creatingcommunityforgood.com to leave a review as well as to get access to additional resources and relevant links from this show. Stay tuned for more episodes.